that I kind of had a thing pressed on me several years ago. Never was funny about it before. But I don't like the idea of calling next Sunday Easter anymore. It's Resurrection Sunday. It's celebrating absolutely the most important thing that ever happened in this world from the time it started till now. So I call it Resurrection Sunday. And most of us know the story about Jesus' resurrection. I don't know what I'll do next Sunday. That's another day for me. But I do know what I'm supposed to say today. God showed me that. And you know, we're all resurrected too. I don't know whether you knew that or not. But we were, we are going to be. And I want to look at that today. You can go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 if you want to. We'll be there in just a minute. But let me tell you this. In the New Testament scriptures, God offers to the lost salvation. That's what he's got for those who do not know him. And for the faithful service of the saved, he offers rewards. Salvation is a free gift. It doesn't cost us a nickel. Very easy to do. All we've got to do is believe. Doesn't require any effort. We either believe or we don't. But rewards are earned by works. You got to work for them. Salvation is a present possession. You who are saved are saved now. You're Christians now. You can have a testimony that you are that and you can tell people you are. But rewards are something we're going to get in heaven. It's for the future. It's not for right now. And rewards are given at the rapture. Now we're going to talk a little bit more about this thing called the rapture and what it means. It's not a Bible word. But it describes when Jesus is coming back again. And none of us know when that is. When the disciples asked Jesus when it would be, he said nobody knew. He didn't even know himself. But God the Father was the only one that knew when Jesus would on the schedule to come back. So we don't know. There's a lot of people think they do, and a lot of people have told other people they do, but if you live long enough to know, you found out they didn't. They were just guessing. Because Jesus said himself, nobody knows.
But in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul is talking about the end of his life. And he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. The words in the King James are the course. My course. But literally, he wrote, I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. Now that is an interesting statement Paul made. Through all I've been through, and there's plenty of evidence in his letters that he wrote to churches of how many times he had been beaten and left for dead and and everything else, put in jail. Through all of that, he makes the comment, I have kept the faith. Now see, I was taught in the Baptist church that once saved, always saved. Well, if Paul knew that, I wonder why he said, I have been successful since I started believing. I have kept the faith. So I can't do anything but assume that I need to be real responsible about keeping my faith too. We do have the word apostate, which is when someone who is truly saved quits believing and leaves Jesus. So there's that too. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, in the future, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. The day he dies or the day that Jesus comes back and catches us alive is the day he's talking about, the day of the Lord, the Bible calls it. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. There are seven crowns in the Bible I've been taught, and one of them is for looking for Jesus. (laughs) Now the interesting thing about those crowns, or the other word, rewards, we don't get to keep them. We get the reputation for having them, but we don't get to keep the crowns, the rewards, because those are the things that the Bible says the elders were throwing at the feet of God on the throne. So I know the Bible tells me that everybody in heaven is not on the same status. There are different levels of heaven. And you gain your status in heaven from how many crowns and how many rewards you get to throw at the feet of Jesus. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But you don't get them until Jesus comes back and gives them to you himself. I like that too. In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 12, you don't have to turn there, 
Jesus said, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Now you know it said in Ephesians, I think 2.10, that we're his workmanship. We were created to do good works. That's the reason God planned us. That's the reason God drew up in 139 Psalm a set of plans on us that's written in a book somewhere. We're all different. And we all have different talents. And we have different personalities. And we have different spiritual gifts after we're saved. And we do things differently. And that's a good thing. I see some churches today I made the comment one time I couldn't be a member of that church. I don't have enough Oxford cloth shirts and, and button-down collars, you know. They all dress the same way. <laughs> God didn't intend for that. Jesus said, take no thought for what you shall wear. He didn't have but one set of clothes anyhow. So we don't need to get in a contest to see who looks the best on Sunday. That's not part of it. But we're created before God created the world. He knew who I was going to be. He knew how I was going to think. He knew what my personality would be. He knew what my talents would be. He knew what my spiritual gift would be. And he knew if I responded to him, that's my responsibility, of what I would grow into. And he knew what my thoughts would going to be every single day, two or three days before I had them. <laughs> That's something to talk about. And he gives us rewards for those things that we do for him after we're born again. Now, there's something I always have to throw in here because I've seen it so much. There are good works mentioned in Ephesians that we're created for, but then in Hebrews there's also an expression called dead works. And I want to bring it up. Because you can do things that you think are for God on the instructions of Jesus through the Holy Spirit that lives in you that God didn't have anything to do with. You decide you're going to do them. Don't think you're going to get rewards for those things because you're not. You get rewards for doing the things that God leads you to do. So you can't just go do anything. I keep thinking about Philip, you know, just sitting there minding his own business and God said, or an angel from God says, get up, Philip, and go down on the road to Gaza. And the next sentence says, Philip got up and went. 
He didn't. He knew where the road to Gaza was, and I found out later that when he talked to that Ethiopian eunuch in that, that chariot, that was 48 miles down the road. And he didn't know when he left where he was, where he was going, or who he was going to talk to. But he got up and went anyhow. So now that's what I'm trying to say. Those things that are God has led us to do, even if it means right now, just drop what you're doing and do it right now. Those are the things we get the rewards for now. So we need to have enough communication with our Heavenly Father that we can recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit in us that we know when He is giving us movement to do something for Him or to say something to somebody or to be a word of testimony for Him. And I say this, and I believe it with all my heart. If you call someone, I mean, I've heard about all these, these classes you got to go to to learn how to, to witness to somebody and all like that. Listen, if you're saved, you know how to be saved. You don't have to have anybody tell you how. And you can explain it to somebody else. And they want to hear it in your words because they see it. They're looking at you. And if you've ever witnessed anybody, you know as you tell them about Jesus, they're staring at your face. Because they're looking to see whether you're trying to sell them a bill of goods or you're being genuine. And that's the reason you need to tell them in your own words what it's like to be born again. And like I say, if you are born again, you know how to tell somebody else. And you might stutter the whole time you're doing it. But I promise you this, if God intends for them to get it, they'll get it. And they'll be what you wanted them to be, what you prayed for them to be. So that's the work that God has created us for. But still, he's in control. In 1 Thessalonians, just a few pages back to the left of where you are in Timothy. In 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. In verse 13, Paul says this a lot. I mentioned this last week. He said, I would not have you ignorant, brethren. Now, ignorance not stupid. Ignorance is just something you don't know. That's what the word means in the Bible, to know. Paul in chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 13 says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, Brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that's their word for dead, them which are dead, that ye saw not, even as others which have no hope. We as Christians don't need to be crying like folks that don't have Jesus Christ do when somebody dies. They worry that those people have died and they don't know what's going to happen to them. We ought not to be that way. We ought to understand exactly where people stand. 
For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which are dead in Jesus will God bring with him. Just because they've already died and they've been put in the ground or they've been cremated or whatever they do with them now doesn't mean that they're not going to be with Jesus. And he's going to bring them with him when he comes. For this we say unto you by the word of God that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them. That word says prevent, but the word that goes there in the Old Testament dictionary is precede. Precede them which are asleep. Now, when Jesus comes back, there's going to be some Christians that have already died and they're in the ground. There's going to be some Christians who are still alive. I don't understand. Don't know why. God hadn't chosen to tell me this, so I can't tell you. But I know what it says. That those of us who are alive when Jesus comes back in the clouds, and that's the next thing that is supposed to happen on the Bible calendar is Jesus coming back in the clouds and calling us up. He's going to say, come up. And those that are in the grave are going to be first. We're going to have to stand and watch them sail up out of those graves and go toward the clouds Because we're not going to go ahead of them. For the Lord himself, verse 16, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. We'll get to see that, I think. I don't know why we wouldn't. Verse 17, then, there's a pause in there it seems like, if you read it like that. We wait till they go, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. They're already there, in the clouds with Jesus. He doesn't come back to the earth, he comes in the clouds. We'll be looking up and seeing him. to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. From then on, we're going to always be with Jesus. Somebody said, where is heaven? I can't tell you, but I know it's wherever Jesus is, and that's all, needs, that's all we need to know. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Settle everybody. If somebody acts like they're a little anxious about what's going to happen, make sure you settle their nerves about it and tell them. It's simple. It's not hard to understand. There's no big words in there. There's a couple of words we had to, we had to give the definition of because they don't use them like that anymore. 
But that's what it's talking about. That we're going to be resurrected too. If we're in the grave, we're going to come out of the grave and our bodies will be joined with our spirits that are already in heaven and we'll float up to be with Jesus. And then if we're walking around, we're going to be caught up also. And that word rapture means caught up. But it's more than just that. It's not just the physical snatching up, is another word they use, of Christians off the earth to be with God. It's an emotional thing. It's going to take our breath away from us. We just gasp for the enormous undertaking that is happening all around us. Some of you might have seen that picture. It used to float around a good bit about the time of the rapture and a guy's driving a bus and he gets floating up in to meet Jesus and everybody else on the bus is a bus wrecks and all like that. I don't know what's going to happen. That, building, that, that, that picture is not inspired. I don't care who painted it. It could happen like that. It could not. The big thing I'm concerned about is when it happens, I'm going to be there. <laughs> I can guarantee that because I have done just exactly what Jesus said I was supposed to do to be with him when it happened. So why then is Jesus giving us these rewards? Because of the levels in heaven. Now there's several things about heaven that we've read in scripture and we got ideas about. And there's a lot of things that I don't really believe that our minds are capable of encompassing and, and, and being able to grasp the truth of what's going to happen to us. I don't believe people in heaven can see what's going on on the earth because it's a place where there's no sorrow. And I tell you what, if my mama could see what I've done since she left, there would be times when I'm quite sure she'd be crying about it. And I don't believe she knows that. The Bible only says in the last part of Luke that the people in heaven will know when we're coming and they'll be waiting at the gate to thank us for things they didn't get a chance to thank us for while we were down here. So that's the only cognizance that I know of that the Bible says people in heaven have about us. There's no gender in heaven. There's no females and males in heaven. We're not married in heaven. We're like the angels. We're neutral. So you won't be married to anybody in heaven. You won't even be a girl or a boy. The Bible says, as the angels are. But everybody doesn't have the same status. It's an interesting thing. I looked up again this morning to confirm it. The word mansion. We, when we say 
I've gone to prepare a mansion for you, Jesus said. We've got this idea. In my mind, it was those old antebellum homes, you know, that the South lived in with all the columns in the front and all this kind of stuff. That's not the word. That's not the word. The word is that Jesus said, I'm going to a prepare a place for you to live. He didn't say mansion. He didn't say it would be big and shiny. He didn't say it would have columns on the front. There's some songs around about a living in the cabin in the corner of glory land or living in a hood or whatever. I don't know. But I know this. The word is not what we consider a mansion. It's not a big, fancy house. Now what it is, I don't know, but I know it's not that because that's not what the word means. Why the translators use that word, I don't know. Of course, I guess it was before the South had all the mansions and we'd have pictures like we have in our head now of watching Gone with the Wind and all that kind of stuff, you know. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 45. Now this is a little bit jumbled, so listen particularly, because this is some of that 16th century, the way they talked and Two, the Jews had a way of talking nobody else did, so they had a way of repeating things so it would give emphasis to one thing or another. So some of it is Jewish talk, and some of it's just the way they, they translated it. But in verse 45 of the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. He's comparing making Adam and making Jesus. Adam was made a living soul and Jesus was made a spirit. A life-giving spirit. That's what that quickening means. Howbeit that was not First, which is spiritual, but that which is natural. Same thing that happens down here. You're a natural person when you're born, and you become a spiritual person if you believe in Jesus. If you don't, you stay natural. And that's another point that it doesn't make, but it needs to be made because this is what some of it says. The natural is first, and the spiritual comes later. The first man is of the earth. He's earthy. That word means it's obvious that he's made out of dust. Now when the people of heaven look at us, it's obvious for some way that we're made out of dust. And they see that. They know who we are. The second man is the Lord from heaven. So he's not. He doesn't have the look of a man made out of dust. 
Verse 48, as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. In other words, who's on the earth looks like they're on the earth. Looks like those kind of people. And as he is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. You remember after Jesus came back and walked 40 days on the earth after his resurrection? The road on Emmaus, the people on the road to Emmaus couldn't recognize who he was. They were earthy. That's what he's talking about. He was heavenly. And after he went to heaven and came back, he didn't look the same. Now you've never seen an angel with one of those space suits on, have you? No. They can live in heaven and on earth too. We can't. We've got to have atmosphere and be able to breathe to live. That's what it's talking about here. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. When we get ready to be snatched up, caught up, or raptured, whichever word you want to use, when we get to heaven, our looks will change. And we'll be able to be recognized then as people from heaven. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot live the life of Jesus Christ on this earth until you're born again. People who are not born again, the Bible is foolishness, things of the Spirit are foolishness, and there's no way that an unsaved person can live with the knowledge of heavenly things. There's just no way. You've got to be born again. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's not heaven. That's down here. That's living the life of a Christian down here. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. We're talking about living and dying. That which dies and that which does not die. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep or die. That's what Paul said. We're not going to all die. Some of us are going to be alive when Jesus comes back. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That scripture's been put on the door of a lot of nurseries and churches. <laughs> we shall not all sleep, but we'll all be changed. <laughs> For this corruptible must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. What that says is this. The person from the earth which is not born again, which does not have Jesus Christ, is going to die. And his soul is going to separate from his body. And the Christian soul is going to heaven. The heathen soul is going to hell. But a man that goes to heaven will never die. And that's what he's talking about. We have got to be changed in order to be 
what we are, which is either earthy or heavenly, either hellish or heavenly, one of the two. And apparently, according to these words, it's easy for us to, to, to discern whoever is and whoever isn't. So it says in verse 57, because of all this that we've been talking about, verse 57 says, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's salvation, people. That's salvation. God makes us the victors by us having Jesus Christ and believing in him. And because we're going to heaven, we're going to look like heaven. We're going to look like a person that comes from heaven. You know, when the angel appeared to Daniel, he touched Daniel on the shoulder, and Daniel hit the ground. You can't walk up and touch somebody on the shoulder and then wind up flat on the ground. That's for heavenly people. They can do that. You can't. And then the angel immediately says, Stand up, Daniel. Well, I'm sure, you know, after Daniel got thinking about it, well, if you didn't want me on the ground, why didn't you put me there? But that's the way heavenly people respond to people from heaven. They can't help it. We have victory through our relationship as a Christian with Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of this, verse 58, my beloved brethren, Paul says, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You're not doing this for nothing. You're going to be rewarded. And not only that, you're going to have status in heaven because of it. I think it's interesting. In verse 52, it says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed to be incorruptible. Somebody looked up how long it is for the twinkling of an eye, and I got it written in the in the, the side of my Bible, one thousandth of a second. That's how long a eye blinking is. In one thousandth of a second, we shall be changed. Nobody but Jesus could do that. And that which dies no longer dies. That's what he's talking about, corruptible and incorruptible. The soul no longer leaves the body of humans. And because of all this, we ought to encourage each other. Now, I don't know whether you've got any encouragement out of what I've said this morning. I suppose if you believe what I've said, it ought to be encouraging to you. It is to me. 
of when God moves me to do this kind of thing for somebody in the middle of the night when it's raining and, you know, all the things you do for God, whatever they are, you know that he's going to pay for it. You don't do anything for God for nothing. And he wants to see to it that you know this. That whatever you have to do for the Lord and he called you to do down here, eventually you'll be paid for it. I remember somebody asked an old man, an old Christian, do you think the lake of fire, what they call hell, do you think it's really a lake of fire? And he said, you know, I don't know whether it is or not. But he said, I know this, if it's not a lake of fire, that is the closest way that God could describe it so that our human minds would be able to understand it. It may not be a lake of fire, but that's the closest he can get to it for us to understand what it is. And that's what I'm saying heaven is. It says God has got things planned for us that there's no way our mind can even imagine the magnificence of what he's done that he's got waiting for us. The thing I want to say to you, if that doesn't make you feel special this morning, I don't know what would. God has gone to all the trouble to make you what you are today, to equip you to do all the things that he wants you to do for him, giving you the personality and the mind and the gift and the talents to do every single thing he has called you to do. And whatever he calls you to do tomorrow, you, can't, you don't need to be like Moses and say, Lord, I can't speak for you. I stutter when I talk. Don't come back with nothing like that. Be like Philip. He got up and went. <laughs> Assume that God knows when he calls you to do something, you can do it. I don't care who you do it. I remember one time God told me to speak to a to a to a a convict that had just served several years and it was raining we were in a pickup truck and the doors I mean the windows were rolled up and the Lord said tell him about me and I thought this is the meanest guy I know Lord what is he going he's going to reach over here and bust my head off maybe if I got to know him a little Lord give me a little bit of time to know him a little bit better he said I tell you, told you tell him about me and I sat there and did, and I answered every question he had. And he didn't change. But that's not my business. I wasn't supposed to change him. All I was supposed to do was tell him. And I told him. So I was in the clear. I did what I was supposed to do. But I think about situations like that. And how we hesitate sometimes to do what God calls us to do. He moves us to do things. He moved me one time to speak to a girl's father because she came and told me he was lost. Would you please go talk to him? I said, yes, ma'am. That was on a Monday afternoon. Tuesday, Monday night I was busy. Tuesday night I was busy. Wednesday night after work I had to go to church. Thursday morning they called me at the house and said he'd run into a tree alongside his driveway and killed himself. 
got any kind of an idea how I felt? Because I do believe in the possibility that there is a person out there that God intends to be saved by your voice only. And if you don't do it, nobody else will. I believe that. So you don't have to worry about me putting anything off anymore. If God tells me to move to somebody, I'm fixing to bust him wide open. And the best way I can, I'm going to try to explain Jesus Christ and him, his death on the cross, his blood paid for the sins of the world, and him resurrected in three days, and now sits on the right hand of God on a throne, dealing with the Holy Spirit that lives in us, and telling, giving us instructions from God to how the Holy Spirit is supposed to tell us to live. And I want everybody to have that chance. What I do with my chance is my business, but what you do with your chance is your business too. But I don't want you not to have a chance. So I'm going to say something to you. The rapture is going to start this thing for all of us. It's going to blow our minds. And what we're going to see after we get to be back with Jesus, to see him at the Battle of Armageddon outside of Jerusalem with all of us riding white horses and not even get to fight with him, that he will destroy all his enemies with a voice from his mouth and we'll be sitting there on white horses watching this. And the blood is going to run the deep in the Battle of Megiddo as deep as the bits are on the horse's mouth. I'm telling you, folks, that's going to be something. We try to make heaven fit into this little box that our mind can control. It won't, and it never will. Somebody says, you ever wonder what we're going to do in heaven? I said, I know what we're going to do in heaven. Oh, you do? Yeah, I know exactly what we're going to do in heaven. We're going to do every single thing God wants us to do because there hadn't been but one that didn't, and he got kicked out with everybody that followed him. Well, I'm going to ask this. I'm not, I don't make comments like that anymore. I used to. I didn't know no better. But I'm telling you, I'm probably going to sit there with my mouth open looking at everything that's going on. But I do believe one thing. I believe when I get to heaven, I'll know everything I want to know. I won't have to ask anybody anything. I believe the human being, one second, after he's dead, either Christian or heathen, knows all the truth one second after he's dead. Those that are on their way to hell, they know it. And those that are on the way to heaven, they know that. We don't have to ask anybody anything. That is our resurrection day. 
That's how we're going to do it, the Bible says. And we're going to sail through the air to be with Jesus forever. And then to sit back and watch the show. Because it is going to be a show. So what does he say? Comfort each other with these thoughts. Don't be scared about Christian folks who've already died. Don't be scared if they fell overboard and the fish ate them. There are people always asking me questions about folks being cremated. Does that matter? Not to God, it doesn't. I mean, folks burn up in a house fire. And you know what? They're going to be standing alongside of you in heaven. And you're going to recognize them too. That stuff doesn't matter. Not with God. Because he reached down and took the cheapest thing in the whole world, a handful of dust, and made you out of it to start with. <laughs> look at you. Look around at you. How different we are. What we look like. And that all come from a handful of dust. If he can do that with a handful of dust, he can do that with you in whatever shape you're in. And I know he can me also. That's God's message for us this morning, for me and for you too. To get in our minds what the Bible says is we have to look forward to. And that's pretty cool to say it like kids say it. That's pretty great. But I tell you what it's going to do, and you can be ready for this, it's going to blow your mind. You're not going to be able to handle it. And it's going to be one thing right after another. We think that Jesus had miracles. Not like he's going to have up there. So I want to encourage you. Whatever God wants you to do, you do it. It said that Jesus learned to be submissive. Learned to be obedient to his father by the troubles that he had to live through. So if a problem is an education for me, I want the education. I want my diploma. If I'm going to have to put up with the trouble, I just don't want to waste trouble. If I get in a jam, I want to learn something out of it because I don't want to get in it again. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this information. Thank you for petting us from your heart what things are going to be like as best we can understand. As we approach this Easter season and we know we've heard the stories over and over and over about Jesus' resurrection. We don't get to hear many stories about our resurrection. But as you say, through Paul, Comfort one another with these things. Settle everybody's mind about it. Don't let people be anxious with all the questions they have about what's going to happen. Because we have to know that there's no way we can be any safer than to be in your hand. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.